0: Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Blue Jay Beat Post Game Podcast. Um, I'm the like, 100% attendance man, Matt D. Marinus, and I just find people who want to talk to me after certain games to fill in. Today it's Robbie Lula, my buddy Robbie Lula. So normally you hear us on, like, what, what do they, what do they talk? Create Athletics Hour and then Blue Jay Shoot Around, right? That's when you bother me.
1: Yes. Those are the two that I bother you on the most.
0: Yeah. Um, so he now I'm bothering him, and he was gracious enough to take time out of his day of you know hanging out with his dogs and watching basketball to actually talk to me about basketball as well. Appreciate it, Robbie. Thank you.
1: I'm also gonna be watching Army Navy,
0: so okay, you know, I'm not like a terribly big fan of that game, but people love it, so
1: I'm not as obsessed with it as some people, but I do. You know, I went to Miller North, so I have a special place in my heart for the triple option. So
0: okay, that's fair. I used to have to defend the triple option, so we can go to hell. <laughs> I, went to, I went to Papio, so yeah,
1: yeah. You guys did not do well against us.
0: No, never. It was, it was you guys were like you guys rocked us every time when I was there.
1: Anyway, you did. Um, yeah, it's not yeah, that so, way. That's,
0: yeah, so the Jays, uh. So we're here. What we're here to do is break down Creighton's eighty three seventy one win over BYU. We're gonna attempt to do that as well as we can without jumping off topic. But if you've listened to Robbie and I and with us <laughs> at all before, you know we're gonna fail in that endeavor. But it'll be entertaining in the process. So just you know, hang with us. Stay with us. We'll make it worth your while. You know. Thank you for. We got a bunch of questions. Thanks for your questions. Um, so we'll get to those and we'll see. I haven't read any of them. I just liked them all like blindly. So if you guys dropped racial slurs in there, I'm going to be in trouble because I just went through and hearted all of them. (laughs) Cause I just like, I add, that's how I know to find them in the queue is like, I just go, you know, yeah, just go through my likes and there they all are, you know, they don't get lost in the sauce. So uh, yeah, hopefully you guys were, were nice to me there. Um, So Robbie, yeah. We like, uh, what are your initial takeaways from today? Like, um, you know, it felt like one of the more complete performances for the Jays, but I just wondered, you know, what what stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the most complete performance by Creighton by far this year. Even um
0: more than North Dakota State, because I think people are forgetting that one a little bit.
1: I'm not forgetting that one. I just think BYU's better than North Dakota State. So that's, I think that's objectively true, yes. Yeah, so I'm weighing that in the in the soft there. Gotcha. Um, but uh, the big thing for me was I think we're starting to see what the offense potentially is going to look like moving forward. Um, obviously, with Marcus Zagorowski, we got really used to, um, and Maurice Watson, too, before him, a point guard-centric kind of ball screen heavy offense. Um, and with Nemert, I think we may see that eventually with him. Not but hard.
0: Stop saying it like that. Drive me wait, how was- much? right you say that you say that you can say hard like the word hard
1: Nemhard. yeah okay it just flows better Nemhard.
0: no you yeah but you, and you which you you do it all the time and then you've you've infected other people that's my
1: bad all right Nemhard. because i've uh, heard
0: like, i've heard like bishop do it a few times and i'm like he's ravi's like getting something <laughs> rolling here that's out of control we gotta we gotta nip it in the bud so yeah i'm a, nem hard it's a little, yeah
1: apparently um Nemhard. Okay. Yeah. So well, you're a
0: smart guy, so everybody just assumes
1: you're you know you're on that I know how to pronounce things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's because I nail Andrew Nikashvili and then I mess up Nemhard. See,
0: so. that's what that's what throws me off. It's like when you when you go back to back with them, I'm like, how did he screw up the easiest
1: name? Like <laughs> how did he screw up the, the easy one? Yeah. Um too no, simple. but I,
0: How do you mess that one up?
1: <laughs> I think uh eventually as Nemhard progresses and matures that we might see a more um, a more ball screen dominant type offense with him he's already fairly ball dominant as a point guard but I think what we're going to see a little bit at least this year is kind of a mixture of the the Doug McDermott type offense kind of centered around Ryan Hawkins skill set some of those sets mixed in with that point guard centric look and I think that that kind of that marriage of those two styles is what we're seeing kind of come into shape. Cause really there is a, in my mind, at least there's a pretty definitive line in McDermott's offensive coaching styles. And it ends with McDermott and starts with Maurice Watson where it was, he always got this reputation for having a ton of sets and like set plays and things like that. And I think that was pretty evident during the Doug McDermott years because they were trying to manufacture him looks because Austin Chapman wasn't necessarily a a huge creator or anything like that. I mean, you had Gibbs who kind of was, but you didn't have this point guard that was creating everything in the offense. And then when you got Maurice Watson, he was this kind of dynamic playmaking guard that you wanted to let loose a little bit. And I think we're going to see kind of a marriage of those two styles with Ryan Hawkins and Ryan Nemhard. Um, in order to take advantage of both of their skill sets. And I think that's what we started to see against Iowa State, um, although Nemhard obviously struggled quite a bit. And we saw it be much more effective today, I thought. Yeah, I, I kind of
0: understand what you're saying, but I think you just told the fans that Creighton has Doug McTermott and Maurice Watson on the same team again. Or, like,
1: no, the I don't st- know if
0: you want to do that.
1: No, so let me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking strictly about the styles of offense. No, I got you. I I, just so I'm I just, I I, just kidding. I'm <laughs> just making sure that everybody <laughs> else, gets it. I'm not saying Ryan Hawkins is Doug McDermott. I'm not saying Ryan Nemard, Nemhard is Maurice Watson. Although I have compared him to what a love child between Josh Doetzler and Maurice Watson would look like. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe I am a little closer to saying that with him, but, the types of plays they use to get Doug McDermott shots. I think we started seeing more of those in the last few games for Hawkins Mm -hmm. and you're, but it's not strictly that anymore, right? Where you still are allowing Ryan Nemhard to create offense and to be dynamic and creative. So it's kind of a marriage of the two styles, even if neither of the players at this point are the, you know, at the same level as Watson and McDermott respectively.
0: Yeah, that, <laughs> that, you do you not need to defend that I was just messing with you, but that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, to call back on something that we said on the Scurry and the Scrub podcast is like when Creighton um, brought Ryan Hawkins into the fold. Like, if you go back and watch his Northwest Missouri State film, it's like he does a lot of the stuff that Doug did to get, you know, to be productive. Like, he's a really intelligent basketball player. He's incredible at using angles. Um you know, he's solid off the bounce, he can shoot and stretch the floor and he can make good reads. He's like not a high turnover tunnel vision type of scorer, like you know, he he can manipulate a defense to get his own offense and other people's offense. So like there this is I was curious to see how it translated, right? Cuz D2 to D1 yeah. um D2 to Big East, uh, tempo, pace, new teammates, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but you know, you have back to back 25 point games against arguably what? Other than Colorado State, these are the two toughest games Creighton's played to date, right? I mean, Nebraska is objectively trash, so that's not in that category, right? So Colorado uh-huh. State, BYU, Iowa State, right? Those are the top three.
1: Yeah, easily.
0: Yeah, I think so. Okay, so. You know, Hawkins is back to back 25 point games against Iowa State and BYU now. And it's not just like the what, it's the how. Like he's, they're getting him the ball in fate, more face up situations. They're getting him the ball, you know, in that elbow area off of uh, curl screens where he can kind of make downhill plays and um, use angles to either, you know, spray and find shooters or, you know, use a shot fake or two, and then a drop step, and a and it's a bucket. You know what I mean? Um, and then he's also coming off of uh, you know some pick and pop action with the mm-hmm. with the guards, and he's hitting threes. Like he's kind of, you know, his activity level on the offensive end is is really starting to, you know, come through um, in that Doug sort of way, where it's like he has he has to be accounted for defensively. Um, because he's dangerous in so many different ways. So, I mean, that's – when you look at these last two games, it's hard not to see that kind of, like, be something of interest for Creighton going forward because you kind of wondered how they were going to use him um, instead of just a more traditional back-to-the-basket post-up type of situation, right? Like, you wanted to see if they were to add a little bit of a wrinkle to his offensive package, and they have so far in these last two games. I think it's encouraging to see. That he's, that he's been efficient in that, in that role.
1: For sure, yeah, it's super encouraging because I was like you, know, I wasn't totally sure how it was going to translate from Division Two to a pretty high-level Division One basketball, especially without a ton of established help on the roster, right? Yep. Uh, you know, it's different if you're walking into a situation with, um, you know, a Creighton team that's well-established and had, you know, multi-year starters at point guard and, and things like that but you know, he came into a team where he had to be the veteran presence. He has kind of turned into having to be the go-to scorer in kind of crunch time minutes, um, which I'm okay with because I I trust him in those spots, but it's uh, one of those situations where you weren't totally sure with the makeup of the team and the step up in competition, how well some of those things would, uh, would work out at this level. And for me, he reminds me of, and again, this is all style of play, not obviously overall talent level, but he reminds me of kind of that sophomore junior year, Doug McDermott game where there was a lot of the, um, there was a lot more of the cutting and post-ups and things like that. Not to say he didn't do that as a senior, but as a senior, he was much more of a shooter and perimeter player kind of trying to show the NBA scouts that he could play, um, play those positions. And obviously McDermott was incredible at those, but it reminds me a lot of um, earlier career Doug, where he was spending a lot of time in the paint and he was doing uh, a lot of that just off ball activity stuff to get interior looks rather than to get open for threes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what it reminds me of a lot. And I think they're starting to take advantage of that in terms of the, the way they're designing some of the offensive sets. And uh, I I hope that we'll continue to see um, them kind of roll some more of those things out uh, into conference play I'm sure we will Uh, I know they don't reveal everything before they get to conference play and even once they get into conference play they hold some things back still so uh, I'll be interested to see how much of it they kind of go into with Hawkins and kind of where they try and strike that balance between letting it be freewheeling type of point guard run offense but still making sure they get the sets in to let Hawkins get his looks and his touches when they need them.
0: Yeah. I don't know if they're going to hold much back. I think they're, you know, there, there's been maybe, I think one major schematic adjustment, like in terms of style that happened early in the 1920 conference portion of the season after those first three or four games. Um, But no, I think they're going to try to implement, you know, some of their, uh, some of their pet stuff, you know in these next couple, I mean, BYU today, obviously, Iowa State, and then you know, Arizona State, they'll certainly use as well because I think they want to be pretty sharp with what they do and have multiple options for um, the Villanova game. So, yeah, I do I do think I don't know if they're going to be if there's going to be as much that unknown in terms of what Creighton tries to execute going into that Villanova game. I think we'll kind of know you know what they're capable of and what they're what they're good at and what they're bad at going into that one. But the one thing, you know, today uh that was encouraging was they went through that whole first half right and then mm-hmm. um you know they're up 18 and they they you know they put push the lead to 21 at one point in the second half like but the whole time I'm sitting there like going no B- BYU is not going down like this. You know, they're too experienced. um and Alex Barcelo is too good of a lead guard to just let it, you know, let, let it out. let it let it get out of hand like this and lay down, right? Um, so I knew the game was going to change a little bit, and I, and so the one thing I was watching for was like, okay, how quickly can BYU get this thing to ten? And um, how does Creighton close? Because I, I, you know, that's that that it was a it was two different teams on the floor today, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Creighton is really young. They have a lot of new parts, and the you know they're not the chemistry isn't there to BYU's level. So when BYU gets on a roll and they get back in the game, can Creighton steady the ship? And I I was really impressed that they did because I thought that was going to be how they won this game today. I think if they weren't if they hadn't made strides in that area, they would have lost. They would have blown that whole lead and lost, and it would have been you know panic would have set in. But you would have kind of understood. I was like, well. BYU wasn't going down like that and Creighton was just not mature enough to close it. I think what Creighton showed today is that they, you know, that they, they are getting better, they're, they're getting more mature, they're getting more in sync with each other and how to operate down the stretch of games when it's when it's a slower pace and it's about execution and not, you know, getting out of the open floor and just making an athletic play. Um so I was really I mean there you saw examples like uh I think they got the game to – I think it was a 10-point game when Ryan Nemhard drove um, baseline, kept his dribble alive, and then found Alex O'Connell for a wide-open corner three mm-hmm. um, in front of CU's bench. And I think it was a 10-point game again at one point when Trey Alexander uh, caught the ball on the right wing, uh, pass fake to get to his dominant hand, drove, jump stopped, shot faked, found his passing window, hit Alex O'Connell on the opposite wing for another big three. Like those are the type of plays that I'm talking about when the game gets down to like the nitty gritty, you got to be able to execute like that. You can't because it's not going to be, you know, live ball turnover, open floor run out, you know, jam session where you can build your lead back up. Like once BYU settled into the game and cut that thing to 10, it was going to be about quarter court execution and which team could do it better. And that was like how the game was gonna be won or lost for either side. And I thought when the game got tough, when it got down to that that spot, you know, there was plenty of time left for BYU. It was a 10 point game, I think, with nine minutes left. That's plenty of yeah. time for BYU. I mean, it's basically three possessions for them, um, to get that thing, you know, in their control. And Creighton just answered every single time. And it also helped that and it showed their maturity as well. They went to the free throw line and they knocked down free throws. They were at do they shooting in the second half from the line i think they were 19 of 21 yeah so they were 91% at the free throw line in the second half 19 to 21 that's how you close that's That'll how work. you that's how you close a show so i was like from that point from that standpoint i thought this this team that is you know getting better day by day i thought they checked a lot of boxes that are going to pay off in a big way going forward with with today's with the way they won today's game
1: yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of concerned the entire time that they were, you know, they got it up to 21 late in the second, or early in the second half, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, this is going to look really bad if they blow this lead. You know, like, it's going to look really bad, the narrative's going to be, oh, BYU overcomes second half, deficit of 21 points to beat Creighton, and that's a bad narrative, right? Um, yeah. It's a bad um, It's not right? great. That's it. But, um yeah, it's a bad narrative from Creighton's standpoint. And so I I had that in the back of my head while I'm watching this. And I'm like, okay, I know they're going to make a run at some point. And I was, like you, very curious to see how Creighton would respond to that. I was really impressed it never got below 10. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's I fully expected it basically – what I expected to happen was it get to a one-possession game and then – we just are basically starting from scratch and whoever wins wins at that point. Right. The, yeah, the 21 yeah. uh-huh. lead would have been irrelevant. And we were just playing a tough second half at that point. Uh-huh. Um, and that never happened. They never got closer than 10. Creighton did a really good job of responding. Um, I was really impressed with their resolve there, especially when, like you said, things weren't coming super easily offensively anymore the way they were in the first half. Um, I thought BYU did a good job of kind of ratcheting up their intensity on that end of the floor and and closing down some of the easy stuff. Creighton was getting early. Um, And they, I thought Creighton when they were going from that 21 to the 10 point lead, I, I thought they wasted some offensive possessions. I didn't think they, they got a ton of good looks in there, but to their credit, they recovered and became more patient and, um, did a good job of starting to, you know, trust their looks and and be patient and and get the looks they needed to extend the lead back out and all the while not waning in their defensive intensity whatsoever. Like, yeah, BYU made some shots, but yeah, it never, they made them make tough shots the whole time. Yeah. Which is all you can ask to do, right? Like, and because you saw BYU's
0: percentages come down, right? They started like they're around sixty percent when they got that thing to ten. I think they finished the second half. Let me check. Yeah, they were at forty-four percent for the second half field goal percentage. So that thing was like hovering. It was like at sixty-one or something like that when you yeah, got it to ten. But they were hitting tough shots, and you are like, all right, just like stay sound, stick to your principles keep trying to break shot rhythm and eventually the law of average will kick in and yeah it did like BYU didn't shoot as well down the stretch of that game as they did to start the second half
1: and some guys made threes that you're okay with them shooting um night I think was three for four or something like that um obviously Barcelo going five or seven you probably wouldn't love him to get those looks but I didn't even think he had that. Man, I don't know rims.
0: though. I thought he got tough looks. Like, I just well, that's what was I
1: was just, just gonna say. Like, you, I didn't even think he had that many open looks. The one that I can think of was off of a broken play where yeah. the offensive rebound just bounced right to him, he's wide open in the corner. But I thought for the most part, Creighton did a really good job. I mean, I know he had to hit a couple over Kalkbrenner from pretty deep, yeah. Um, which that's not an easy shot by any means. Uh, so you know, I, I didn't have a, a problem, even though he made a lot of his shots and obviously ended up having a good game. I thought they made him work incredibly hard for it. I thought they prevented for the most part, him getting other people involved the way they would have needed um, to get involved in order for BYU to finish uh, overcoming that deficit. And the fact that even when Creighton was struggling offensively, and we've talked about this before. um, And, you know, we, we saw this in Iowa state game. I thought also, Even though Creighton can struggle defensively at times, the fact that their commitment to defense never changes is the best thing about this team.
0: Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Especially with considering how young they are, you don't see this from teams this young. You don't. We've seen we've seen other young Creighton teams where it's like they might learn how to defend eventually, but we're not there yet. Exactly. You know, it holds them back. Yeah. This team was like, boom. We're we're a a team to be reckoned with defensively right out of the gate. And I didn't see that coming at all. I, that was incredibly surprising to me for this team. And it doesn't seem like it's going away, even as the level of competition is rising up, their commitment on the defensive end seems to be as good or better as it was earlier in the season. And that's a huge testament to just the, the makeup of the guys and the team and the work the coaching staff has done But it also makes me really excited about, you know, the ceiling for this group, you know, maybe not this year, but the fact that they already defended this level, the offense is going to come along at some point, whether it's this year with this particular group or, you know, I expect next year that Trey Alexander and Kaluma and and Nemhard will be more effective from three than we've seen at times this year. You know, that defensive commitment is going to make them really, really tough to deal with when the offense comes along.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how we're this far into talking about their defense without mentioning Ryan Calkbender, and like I'm gonna plug it because I just, you know, I just wrote about it the other day. Was he's a total monster? He's a, he's a, he's a monster. Like, yeah, he. So going into this, I don't know what it's gonna be like. What the shot chart's gonna look like after today? It's gonna be much worse. But they were holding teams to forty five point eight percent, forty six percent shooting inside five feet. That's the lowest. By a healthy six percentage points, um, since the Jays joined the Big East through the first nine games of the year, like he is, he's like, he's made Creighton a legitimate nightmare inside for the first time and I'm not sure how long. Like, and, and I mean, BYU today is a good, like, BYU is a really good, normally a really good two point shooting team, they, like, like, they convert really well in there normally. Today they were. I mean, what did they finish from two? I think they, they were, were fifteen
1: for two. 15 for forty-six. What's that?
0: What's fifteen for forty-six? That's
1: thirty-three percent would be fifteen
0: for forty-five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just horrid, right? So you're, you're yeah. So you, so you have forty-five. You have uh, thirty points on thirty-three percent shooting inside, or 30, 30 points on forty-six attempts. That's terrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you only got good. to the not- and you only got to the line. You only got to the line four times. You were five for eight. So it's not like you were, you know, missing shots and drawing fouls or getting the big man in foul trouble out of that regard. Like his first half was silly dominant. I mean, I'm not sure yeah. I've seen I don't know the last time I've seen a big man dominate both ends of the floor like that. For you know, I think you know, maybe Justin Patton had something similar. I'm trying to remember, but he Just was five Patton for wasn- he was five for five with five block shots in the first half. That's that's what he was. So he was perfect on his end offensively, and he erased five scoring opportunities for BYU. That's only the shots he blocked, too. Like he, you know, we don't it's five block shots. They don't track how
1: many shots he altered. So altered, heard, I mean, discouraged from anybody taking in the first place. Yeah. Uh there were times where Barcelo would like get past his initial defender and then pass out rather than going all the way to the rim and you, it's because Brenner was there mm-hmm. like you saw that he would get past his initial guy help was coming but he knew he couldn't get the shot off before he got to Kalkbrenner. and so he'd pass it back out to somebody else those that there's not a stat for that but if you watch it you can just see how much of an impact he's having on guy's mentality on what type of shots they want to take and you know I, you mentioned Patton Patton wasn't this type of rim to, uh, rim protector like he had moments where he would, you know, he would block some shots and things like that, but the consistent presence, like Kalkbrenner's always in the right spot. Mm -hmm. Always. Unless he is screened and sealed. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Unless he is screened and sealed off, which is again, good work on the offense, not his fault though, in terms of, um, it's not like he's in the wrong spot. He didn't make the wrong decision. He just got a play was made against him. He's always in the exact right spot. You want him to be in. That's, Mm -hmm part of what's so impressive is he's not coming. These aren't weak side blocks where he comes out of nowhere and just swats some guy into the third row. People are driving into him. He's walling up and they can't get the shot off. Yeah. That level of rim protection and just interior defense. We haven't seen at Creighton since I've been covering the team. Like that just, it hasn't existed. Is it crazy I
0: that like Creighton's trending to like, We thought Tyshawn Alexander deserved it. So, like, think about, like, what Creighton's reputation is. And this is maybe, you know, as he's trending right now, if he continues this in Big East play, like, they're looking at, like, legitimately having three straight recruiting, like, cycles of – Defensive player of the years. Of bringing in in and producing or developing the best defensive player in the Big East. Yes. That's probably the most – that's probably the craziest, like, craziest – thing that's come it's from Creighton. the most awkward
1: you play. come up with. Yes, exactly. For Creighton, right? Yes. For what they, they market themselves as and what mm-hmm. people view them as. Um, but you're right. I mean, Kyrie Thomas obviously went back-to-back. Tyshawn Alexander should have been Defensive Player of the Year. 100%. And, and so, far,
0: so far, I'm not sure who's been better than Kalkbunner. Maybe. I mean, Sanovo, Sino- no maybe, but he hasn't, but he's been hurt. So, like, he hasn't put up the sample size that Kalkbunner has. Like, that's... Well, and,
1: obviously I watch more Creighton than UConn, but Sonogo, I don't think has the play in and play out effect on the other team's offense that Kalkbrenner does.
0: Interesting. I, I would disagree, but yeah, that's, I mean, I, I get, I get what you're saying in terms of Kalkbrenner's being more, you know, a smidge more impactful. That's going to be a crazy matchup. Like, because UConn yes. loves to loves to attack inside. Like that's what I'm curious to see. Like, how, you know, how does he do against a team that likes to get downhill, likes to play through the post, you know what I mean? Like, where they legitimately don't care that he's down there and they'll attack anyway, you know what I mean? I think Iowa State was the first example of it um, to some degree, and he dominated that game interior on the interior defense, like, you know, so um, it'll be interesting. But, yeah. yeah, he was a freaking monster today. That first yeah, yeah. half was as dominant of a defensive performance, Man, I don't even know like he just he erased everything in there they're up 18 and the points in the paint were 26 12 like he was almost single-handedly responsible for the margin you know what I mean it was insane five for yeah. five with five block shots like in one half what he was like on triple double watch at the at halftime he was at he had seven boards and five blocks at halftime it's crazy
1: yeah his his presence has been and honestly i didn't see this coming from him like I, I thought he would get better this year i didn't think he'd turn into this at any point in his Dude, great I career. Thought,
0: yeah i thought it was going to be a year first like i you know before he before he turned
1: into this well and i thought you know like i thought offensively his game would come along a little bit i thought he would you know maybe get a little better feel for the pick and roll which we still haven't seen a ton of yet that's
0: what i'm saying like that's not even there yet i mean he does yeah he's He's still not great at using his hips to drive guys into the low post yet. Like, he's got to develop that a little bit. So, offensively, he's still pretty raw.
1: Yeah, there's still a lot. I mean, like, his his footwork is good, and he's got pretty good touch. But strength-wise and feel-wise, there's still a little bit more to be done there. And honestly, that's where I thought we would see most of his development, not just this year, but over the course of his career. I didn't see him becoming this type of defensive presence ever. Like, I just didn't know this was in there. Well, like. I knew he, he kind of was, was
0: this dude a little bit in AAU and high school. Like you just wondered right. if it could translate to when he well, has also stronger guys and quicker guards and things like that.
1: Well, that was my concern, right? Because a lot of 7 1 guys are defensive stalwarts in high school because they're 7 1 in high school. Yeah.
0: Well, he was good on the UIBL circuit too. Like he had five blocks a game. That,
1: like, that's Which, not, that's listen, again, I didn't see a ton of the, you don't see a ton of like game in, game out footage. Mm -hmm. From that stuff, unless you're watching, you know, going to those tournaments and watching them. Yeah. But I just kind of assumed "Ah, he's seven one. He's probably coming from weak side all the time, getting some blocks and you know putting up good numbers. And that's just not the case at all. At least not what we're seeing here. He's like a legitimate force defensively. His like honestly, he's pretty good. He's not even
0: like a crazy vertical athlete.
1: He's just no incredible at using
0: his. His like he's just smart about it, you know. His he doesn't timing, leave his feet until it's time to leave his feet, like the, you said. Timing is great. He's strong. He's long, and he just uses it all in unison. You know what I mean? His he's not timing. He's not flying all around and like trying to throw balls into the stands. Like he just, no. he just goes up there and uses his technique. Good vertical walls, um, sound fundamentals, and he's
1: having a special year, man. He does man. have freakish length. His arms are oh big. for sure, yeah. But you're right he's not jumping out of the gym to get these blocks. He's not flying all over the place to, you know, affect things. He's just one of the most fundamentally sound defensive, like interior defensive players that I've seen in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing for me is it's not just on help side. It's not just on, uh, you know, when, when guys get past their initial defender, he Is actually really good on the perimeter on switches too. Yeah, he moves his feet well. Yeah, yeah, and and not just really well for a big guy. Like he was staying in front of Barcelo on switches.
0: Yeah, because Barcelo would try to like get him on his hip and then get downhill to get space
1: on him, and it wouldn't. And he couldn't do it. Couldn't shake him. Yeah, which I I think we saw the most of today. Out of I know they switched or they've switched in previous games, but in terms of actually seeing Brenner, you know, having to take multiple steps and not just stay in front of a guy for a step or a step or two, but having to basically end up guarding on the perimeter. I thought today was the most impressive we've seen from that on his part. Mm, I agree. but Yeah. The, the Kalkbrenner is you can't really say enough about like you could just keep going on and on about the call runner stuff because it's been that good.
0: Well, yeah, I wrote about it. So that's why everybody should go read that if they haven't because you know clicks are are lifeblood, aren't they? I mean, I don't know. I don't write so
1: um
0: you wrote one time I did at you one a, time you got a lot of clicks like- <laughs> Uh let's jump into questions, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Shall we see what people are thinking? And again, I haven't read any of these, so it's been a good hour since I started liking them all. So I hope you all were, um, you know, PG rated.
1: I feel like you're just giving our friend Alex Indalar a free path to get you canceled.
0: <laughs> 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 or I'm just bracing for what he might've said is really the thing. Um, our first one comes from our first question comes from, or maybe it's not a question I should preface. just general comments, questions.
1: Some of these are just statements.
0: Yeah, but we can talk about them. Uh, Our first one comes from Brian Ayers. Um, He says, I get a Damian Jefferson sense from Trey Alexander. Uh, I think he is going to be an unsung player for Creighton that by the time he graduates, we'll all know how essential he is to see you success. Damian Jefferson. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't really see agree. more. I see more DJ in art than I do in Trey. I think you'll notice.
1: I think Trey's offense. Notice players. Trey more when he's when he gets to that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think his offensive upside is higher than what that comment would indicate. Sure. Uh, yeah. I think he's got some, like, creation ability in terms of creating his own shot. Yeah. That uh, we're and going for, to
0: and for others too.
1: Yes. Um, I also think he, um, I mean, D- DJ ended up being a good shooter, um, but I think his shots a little bit more natural than DJ's was coming in. And I mean, that my opinion, but. I've heard some people not loving his mechanics,
0: so I could see where that comp might be sound from a <laughs> shooting standpoint. Like Jacob, Jacob isn't in love with his mechanics yet.
1: Yeah, I just he's just seems more comfortable shooting than DJ did early in his career. That's the thing for me. Yeah. Um, so I think offensively he's got a higher upside than DJ did. Um, I think DJ was probably a better athlete. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely a better athlete. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Trey is, I think maybe like poor man's Tyshawn is more what I would have okay. in mind. In terms of yeah, kind what of what was- I see, I
0: see too. Cause he's just a long combo guard. Yeah. Type, you know, but he, but the thing that I like about Trey and Ty is like, I think that um they're both going to be good playmakers. They're both going to be, I think, good shooters. Ty certainly was Trey will be, I think. And they both can defend, I think one through three, pretty comfortably once Trey gets to that point that, that yeah. tied did his junior year. And they also rebound really well for their position. Like yeah. that's and I and I can see where some of those traits fit DJ too, because DJ rebounded pretty well for against anybody, basically. But um
1: <laughs> He's a good rebounder.
0: Yeah, I could see I could see where some of there's some similarities there, but I, I do see more of a you know a Kyrie Tyshon combo guard type of situation for for Trey than maybe necessarily like a wing um you know, undersized four man type.
1: Yeah, and I don't I don't wanna when I say poor man's Tyshawn, I don't say that to, you know, uh well, you're say anything you're,
0: you're insulting him. I know, I understand what you're saying. About
1: Trey. I just, you know, I don't wanna there. assume he's gonna rise to the level that Tyshawn did, because by by the time Tyshawn left, he was, you know, um, I think yeah. player in the big east, but um other people like that junk that Miles Powell was throwing up and Marcus Howard. So um, not me personally, but so I don't want to like put that, yeah, he's gonna be the top player in the big east, but I think that type of game is is definitely within his uh skill set.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Um, our next one's coming from Katie Heider. Uh this team's better than the 14, 15, 15, 16 rebuild teams. Uh way more committed to defense and physical play than they have been in years. Um, obviously some of this started with lusk, but is it a reflection of the new coaches slash where they want the program to be? You see, I thought the 14-15 team was a really physical team and pretty good defensively because I thought they would have got their doors blown off way more than they did if they weren't. So I remember that team a little bit differently than the people do because people just think 14 and 19 playing game in the big east and that it was a trash team. Like that team wasn't trash, they just didn't have like a an yeah, alpha an alpha that could get them over the hump in close games, but they played Villanova close. They played Xavier close. They beat Xavier if, on the they beat Xavier on the road that year. Um,
1: if but, I remember, they, I think they ended up losing games where they had the lead in the last minute like a dozen times that year. Yeah, yeah, but it was, it was yeah. hot. There was um, they were just there,
0: missing an alpha that could like you know. Yeah take over down the stretch and finish and bring them home. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, I totally agree. And so while, yes, that was the worst Creighton team, you know, in recent history, they weren't nearly as bad as people remember them. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, they were bad in the sense that Will Artino was twice charged with taking the game winning shot in games and that's probably not the situation you want Will Artino in even though he's turned out to be a nice player overseas
0: I was going to say man maybe he was <laughs> I'm just saying
1: maybe you prepared him for the that, for veteran pro that was not the role you wanted him in okay. that's all I'm saying um, and so there was i think there was a pretty startling lack of overall talent on that team compared to what the rest of the Big East was bringing to the table, but I think they were incredibly well coached, and they obviously never quit on um, on the season, despite how um, despite how poorly things started off. Would well, they start like zero and nine in, in conference play? I believe, uh, I believe zero and eight before they beat St. John's. So, like that's that's pretty brutal. That's a pretty brutal way to start off um, your conference season, and and I thought they were better than people give them credit for. That being said, I don't think this team is anywhere in that neighborhood of Mm-mm. like if if this team started 0 and 8 in conference play, something horrible had to have happened. Like horrible.
0: Well, I think they're better at every position.
1: I mean, talent-wise it's not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, but you know, the advantage you had in the 14-15 is you had just a bunch of guys that have been there forever and played winning basketball for a long time. Yeah. That's the- were,
0: I mean they were they they were just like were disciplined. Yeah, and, and they,
1: and they, they had, played- and
0: they had some like and they, they had played a capacity in a about them because they learned how to win, so they knew how to execute well enough in the game to give themselves a chance to win. It was just like it was just when yeah. it came down to it like, you know, I think Butler's Roosevelt Jones made plays late. Our Ryan Adekano made plays late to beat him like you're just missing So you're just missing a a guy like that. You know what I mean? Like that's what you understood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's fine. It's okay to say like they just didn't have that guy. Yeah. But they had really good kind of basketball DNA on that team. For sure. Uh, That's probably the one thing this team is missing at this point, just because they don't have the experience to have built that up yet. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not to say the basketball IQs aren't good. That's not to say, you know, like Ryan Nembhard has played a ton of winning basketball in high school. But and obviously Ryan Hawkins played a ton of winning basketball Division Two, but it's just a little bit different of a deal coming to the and not having.
0: If you told told me the fourteen fifteen team, like in no way could beat this team, I would think you were wrong. Like that's what I you know I mean I think that team that team is tougher than people give it credit for.
1: I think if it depends on which version of this year's team you give them. If you give them the team that played against Kennesaw, yeah, that that's a team the fourteen fifteen can beat. If saying. you give them the like, to play yeah. today, I don't think 14-15's beating. The they team. beat
0: that 14-15 team beat a really good Oklahoma team. They beat a pretty good St. John's team. They beat a pretty good Xavier team. Like they weren't just like getting and
1: the first time Xavier had lost at the Sintos center in yeah. a long time.
0: Yeah, they weren't they weren't just getting like dog walked
1: to 14 to 19. That was a grind. Like they were in yeah. some games. And yeah, and you're right. That Oklahoma team was ranked at the time when they beat them. I believe that was a Buddy Heel team, wasn't
0: yes. it? Buddy Heel went bananas that game too. So like he wasn't off, he was on. And they yeah, still
1: so this yeah. is the real Oklahoma team that they came back from like nineteen down on. So, you know, yeah, the people that think that team was just, you know, hot dog water is are wrong. But you like that one? That was a good one.
0: Hot dog cart water. That's pretty
1: good. Um, <laughs> um, but I also think the better versions of this team are are far and away better than that team.
0: Yeah, no, like there's the – you know, I think the floor and the ceiling are both higher. But, like, that 14-15 team was tough too. Well, I, that's – that we, we haven't got off tangent on that one. But the the question was, is Creighton's kind of defensive identity a reflection of, like, new coaches they've brought in and kind of where they want the program to be? You know, like, I don't know because it's not like they – you know, so so think- like, it's not like D-Rock wasn't, like, a hard-nosed – like yeah, that's his offensive. Like coach, that was, you know what I mean. Like yeah, so it's it's you see the highs they experienced while Lusk was on staff, and you just assume that, um honestly, that they, like that they, for- that they that they're there because of him, and that's solely the reason. But I don't know. Like I think they've just recruited, uh, I think they've recruited really well where they've tried to find smart dudes who have an edge to them. You know what I mean? Like it's not always the about recruiting rankings. Like they've been very particular about who they've brought in. And you look at the type of basketball they're playing. It's like, it requires intelligence, discipline and some grittiness. And like, you just go through like Marcus Zagorowski was a high basketball IQ dog, right? Tyshawn Alexander um, was a dog, Mitch Ballack, high basketball IQ, like, Damian Jefferson, high basketball IQ and a freak athlete and a dog. Like they just were very particular about finding guys who had some positional versatility, um, some basketball know-how, right? And just like a, a, a grinder's mentality. And like when you have that, when you put a team full of guys like that in your gym, it just – they they elevate themselves through competition with themselves and through just, like, individual workouts and, like, late nights in the gym when no one's watching. Like, that's just – you just build that up. So, it it's, it's not like something that some coach came in and waved a magic wand and turned these guys into something they're not. Like, they brought in these players who are already – who fit that identity, and it's kind of like how they've – been successful in the big east, like I think you know, it might have started with Maurice Watson Jr. Like, he talked about you know, having conversations with Mac about what type of team they would have to field to be competitive in the big east. year and you're out, and he's like, You just got to find some dogs, dude. You got to find some dogs who are smart, who understand the game, and who, when it gets like time to you know, show what you're made of, and like finish a game and close it out with tough smart plays like you've got a roster full of guys where you don't have to worry about timeouts and whiteboards and things like that you can just trust them to play the game that they're trained to play and it'll all take care of itself so that's kind of what that's what I see from it I don't know if it's necessarily if one coach or a certain group of coaches deserves any credit for that other than the fact that they've identified that type of player in terms of who they want to bring into their program and that's what They've been successful with.
1: Yeah. So a couple things off of off of what you said there. Um, number one, the thing that identifies Creighton's program or sets them apart more than anything else is their ability to consistently recruit guys that are good fits for them. Um, more than the shooting, more than the offense, more than the let it fly, any of that stuff. The fact that they find guys that are good fits for what they want to do is the thing that has, that to me sets them apart from other programs and what makes them consistently good at at what they're trying to do. Um, you don't have to look that far down the road to see a program that has no idea how to do that and the results of it. It's bad. If you don't know what kind of guys you need to be successful in your system, or you can't successfully get those guys, it turns ugly really, really fast. Um, and so Creighton's ability to do that first and foremost is, uh, has been really impressive and to be able to find good fits, but slowly increasing the overall talent level while finding good fits has been really impressive because I mean, this is recruiting rankings wise, the most talented team Creighton's ever had on campus. Yes. Uh, and not really that close, frankly, Mm -hmm. But you look at these guys, Ryan Nemhard, perfect fit at point guard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Trey Alexander seems like a terrific fit. Arthur Kaluma seems like a really good fit. I assume Mason Miller will be a good fit when we see him on the floor next year. Um, even John Christoffel's, I think, is a really good fit for what they'll do. And I expect him to play um, a role at some point in his career here. You know,
0: yeah, if Mason, Mason Miller is not rooming with uh, Ryan Hawkins, by the way, they need to make that happen.
1: Oh, yeah. They, like, he should just be his shadow. He just needs Seriously, to follow just him everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> like, his little puppy dog, just follow Ryan mm-hmm. Hawkins everywhere.
0: What's Hawkins' class load as a sixth-year senior out of D? Like, is he good? He'll probably NBA. That's what I'm saying. So, like, let, if, if Ryan – if Hawkins has, like, a light class load, just let him, like, go to class with Mason. Just, like, don't ever let them leave each other. Because Yeah. Mason this needs – This is how we like, handle – Basic needs to go sponge mode on that dude as like yeah. as much as possible.
1: Take as much because as you can before he's, more he's talented gone. than Ryan Hawkins. I mean, there's the talent he's more talented than Ryan Hawkins, like physically.
0: Um, okay.
1: And so obviously Ryan Hawkins has a skill set that has allowed him to be really successful at all levels of basketball. Mm-hmm. But he can absorb the things that Ryan Hawkins does into his body, it's game over. Like we're done here.
0: Yeah. Everyone, I think we were asked, like, how do we get a a Grant Gibbs year out of Ryan Hawkins? Like, I think by having Mason Miller learn as much as he can from him, that gives you
1: four years of that. Yeah. And so um, first and foremost, just their ability to increase the talent level while maintaining good fits. That's a big reason why the defense continues to get better and better. The part of it is the players are just better than they used to be. Secondly. I think it goes back to, you know, I don't really think there's been like a philosophical change since between Doug's junior and senior year where they really like, you know, focused down on it a little bit because they were so bad defensively that junior year. And they really did make it a point to, hey, we have to defend better and do all these things better. Um, But from a philosophical standpoint, I don't think it's different from, you know, I'm sure there's some changes, but from, you know, whether it's D-Rock or um, Paul Lusk or, or the guys they have on staff now. I don't think you're going to look at it and say, Hey, yeah, there's this huge difference of what we're doing schematically or how we're practicing or whatever. I think it's just a continued long-term commitment to that side of the ball and an increase in the talent of the players you are getting and you get better results slowly over time, you get better results. And so I don't think it's too much more complex than that. Yeah.
0: Um, agreed. Andrew Berklin says, uh, you mentioned a couple of recaps ago, how fortunate Creighton was to have gotten Hawkins when they did in the offseason. Um, there were other targets that ended up going elsewhere, but it seems like an absolute home run by the staff to bring him in for a year. Yeah, I guess, you know, cause you do kind of wonder, like, do you want to take a chance on a one year guy when you feel like you're gonna have a transition type of team and you're going to be building with it the whole time? Um, what does it do for you? Right. Long-term. Especially
1: a new guy that's only got one year. I mean, you know, that's a pretty big transition yeah. from D one, and
0: like you, you think he's more of like an addition for a team that's already like ready made and just is missing the piece that takes them to a different level, right?
1: Yeah, where you're like, hey, we're Villanova, we're missing a stretch four, um, and then if we get that stretch four, we're going to the final four again. So let's get Ryan Hawkins. Yeah, or you know, like if it were a Creighton team that is kind of in transition mode, maybe taking on a D2 guy that has two or three years left rather than just the one so that he can grow with the rest of the team. Um, I do think there was, I don't know if a risk is the right term, but they were taking a chance on Ryan Hawkins, assuming that the, the his set would translate and assuming the rest of the roster would come along fast enough for it to matter.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I've said this before, but like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what this record looks like without Ryan Hawkins. Like, forget the, how the rest of the roster has come along too. It's not that they don't deserve credit for the, the, you know, the advancements they've made in, you know, the rest of the roster, but like, I don't, I don't know where the wins are at without Hawkins. Like,
1: no, he's a huge part of it for sure.
0: Like, I don't think, I don't think they beat Kennesaw State without him. I'm not sure they hold on to the Nebraska lead without him. I'm
1: but it's also one of those things that still beat
0: Brown the way. I mean, but he played really well. I mean, there's just like a lot of things when you boil it down, like this season might look dramatic. Oh, damn, Drake. Okay. Game tying through with 12 and a half seconds left. Um
1: No, but you know what I mean? Like there's yeah, like there's
0: he's made a huge impact on this team already. Like if Ryan in the the win loss column.
1: Yeah. Yes, he has, for sure. But if like Ryan Nemhard looks like the way most freshman point guards look, we're, it doesn't really matter how good Ryan Hawkins is, right? Like if Ryan Kalkbrenner doesn't take this huge step forward defensively that we've seen this year, it probably doesn't matter nearly as much how good Ryan Hawkins has been. Uh, like there's, you know what I mean? Like the the development of the rest of the team makes his impact that much more meaningful. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, where are we at? Uh, when and where can I buy um, the Hawkins poster? I don't know. Probably at Creighton uh, ticket office, I guess. Right? They have posters there. They have a I book, think he- they have a bookstore on campus and everything. I don't know.
1: He means the poster of him dunking on that dude. Oh, that poster! Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know. Someone has to make that. So.
1: On that, maybe we can create like a uh, an NFT. We'll make a non fungible token. We, will, we
0: will not fucking do that. We will. <laughs>
1: hey, you dropped the first f bomb in the podcast. I was. You dropped
0: that. the first one when you said NFT, so I dropped the second one. So yeah. No fungible. That's not the f bomb. That's the first NFT in terms <laughs> of is the first f bomb in that in that in on this podcast anyway. Um. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I don't know. So hopefully someone has a really like epic shot of it, like looking up at the ceiling type of situation, you know?
1: Yeah. Where they're like, all oh, the that was a
0: nasty. That was a nasty body. He caught like, Oh yeah. It was what, bad. what did I say? What did I say? I think I said he like he caught a body and then sent a sympathy card to the family with just a smiley <laughs> face. Like that was, <laughs> that was ruthless. Like the way he did that. I mean, yeah, there know? that was, he, he, he did it. And then he turned around and like, let him know that he did. He like, I just dunked on your ass kind of thing. Like, I was like, "Oh, you don't gotta remind the man. Like he he knows he got yammed on. Like you do have to. You have to remind him. I don't know yeah. if you have to remind him. I think he knows. Well, he
1: probably had a concussion by how bad he got bodied. So you gotta <laughs> remind him just in case there's memory loss. Be like, hey, bro, you remember what just happened? <laughs> you hey, you saw that, right? I saw it, man.
0: Thanks. Okay. Like, yeah, I was there, dude. He would say it like really politely, like that. He's like, "I just dunked on you. I, I'm aware. Thanks. Excuse
1: me, sir. Uh, you just got dunked on." <laughs> Pardon me, buddy, but I, I didn't know what he. Was that's doing. your ass! I just took <laughs> when he was driving. I was like, "Is he trying to draw a foul?" Like I didn't know what he was trying to do. Uh, and then he took off and just started soul snatching, and I was like, "Oh god!"
0: See, that's what I'm saying. Like he's got bounce, so I was I I don't know. Like just the way the angle, the yeah, angle of
1: the defender. It was a very angle.
0: violent dunk, so I think that was probably surprising, but. Yes. I wasn't surprised he tried to catch a body because i was like, there were moments in some relief. I'm like, he could catch a body if he gets the right, you know, space to do so. He'll try, it. He'll try it.
1: He'll try some shit. Yeah. I didn't know. Like I figured he was like one of those fast break, not heavily defended dunkers. Yeah, uh, that is not the case
0: because he's a one foot jumper.
1: Like so, you gotta that
0: it. It suits him to be on the run like that if he's gonna try. Yes. It.
1: Yeah, on a run out. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, let's see. Uh, Brian wants to know, uh, where does Creighton need the most work? Seems like the only real concern is either general consistency. That paints a pretty broad brush. Or they need more <laughs> outside shooters. <laughs> general consistency in several areas. Uh, where do they need the most work? I guess it depends on what you think this team's ceiling is, right? Because then you're like, what do they need to do to reach that? So, I I don't know. Like, it's probably outside shooting because you feel like they can rebound pretty well. They can can protect the rim. They can defend. And they can score inside. So, if they can just.
1: Out a lot. What's that? There's not a lot left on the list. There's not a lot left.
0: Yeah. Ball security, three point shooting. Um, What else is there?
1: I mean, so I would like to see a little bit, maybe
0: a little bit more. You know what? Maybe a little bit more bench
1: depth because, like, yeah, the minutes,
0: the minutes logs are going to get pretty, pretty big, especially as they try to, you know, especially as they figure out a rotation that they feel like they can win with because they're going to start wanting to win as opposed to wanting to learn as much. Um yeah. so like you're gonna see a lot of guys north of thirty minutes um going forward here. So maybe if like John Christophilus could, you know, take a jump in practice and become a guy that you can bring off the bench and play a little bit, that might that might be one way to improve the ceiling of this team. Um other than that, yeah, just like thinking to shoot the ball. Well,
1: I mean I think I think you're starting to get that a little bit. I feel like they're starting to trust Roddy a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Reef didn't play today either, so that's that was part of the minutes. Distribution.
1: Part of it, but they okay with letting Roddy play extended. No, no, no. It's like, I'm
0: with you on the Roddy thing. I'm saying the reason the minutes looked like they did today was also because yes. he did not play. So. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and Keyshawn was in foul trouble in the first half, right? I don't think he played in the second, did he? I don't think so. Yeah, this matchup wasn't it wasn't a great matchup for him because that BYU was a little bit smaller. Like, yeah, you know, they're just, they're just, they, they kind of go like six, three to six, 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 seven across the board a
1: little bit. So. Well, and even though he can move or even though he's smaller than caught Brenner, he doesn't move quite as well laterally. I don't think. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was a tough matchup for Fiesel, but. Yeah, if you can – I mean, if, if Reef can get healthy and you've got Reef and Roddy coming off the bench, that would be really helpful. Um, I think they're starting to trust Trey Alexander more, which that will be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Trey Alexander quite a bit. I think uh, he brings a lot to the table. So, you know, there's the opportunity for some depth there if you can get Christophilus a little bit more com- – or get them a little more comfortable playing Christophilus. I think that would be a bonus for me. It's, it's mostly if you can get reef healthy so that reef and Roddy are both available. Um, But honestly, I would, I would love to see a little bit more consistency in terms of their, uh, I would say offensive production. It seems like they go through these lulls where I don't love their offensive possessions. Um, And it wasn't very long today. It was just kind of in that stretch where, BYU got it down to 10 points, but there were some possessions I just didn't totally love um, where BYU got a little bit more physical defensively. Uh, those are the places where I'd love to see some of those Doug sets come out for Ryan Hawkins to kind of break out of the, the, uh, I guess, break out of the need to slow have... Slow the Nem- game down and run something through him. Yeah, and to, to slow Nemhart down a little bit, because I do think that's the one place where he does show his freshmanness sometimes is there's possessions where you probably need him to create a really good shot and it doesn't quite get where you want it to be um and there's other times where he creates great shots exactly when you need him to yeah but just a little bit more consistency in that area um but again this I'm kind of nitpicking here uh if the outside shooting is better, that probably fixes what I'm talking about. I just don't think you're going to snap your fingers and suddenly get better outside of shooting from this team. I think that's going to come next year when guys have kind of an offseason to work on things and have a whole a full season of, of Division I basketball under their belts. So I, I'm not assuming the, the shooting is just going to magically get better. So in lieu of that, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency in the offense they get um, out of – in some of those critical stretches
0: would you really um i would <laughs> i'm hitting a wall here so we're gonna try to rapid fire through these things i did not sleep well last night so now i'm like i'm feeling it right now i was like a morning tip will be perfect for this type of day but listen like, I'm your timetable that's all your i know like, i don't need you to encourage
1: me to end the podcast i'm just saying we got I'm just whatever you're like I'm just here when you're for you you we just have people to,
0: we have people to get to still
1: so well let's get to
0: them let's um Kalen mcgrath wants to know uh it seems like kalk has morphed mentally into a completely different human um he's out on the floor talking sprinting showing emotion and killing it any insight into what clicked or changed that's really good um Observation. I don't know if there's any one particular thing. I think obviously he played a lot of high level um, basketball last year and then as a freshman and then like got some NCAA tournament experience. They made a Big East tournament run. Um, and then Wait, how much? And then, you- and then he played with, you know, Team USA in the summer. So like there's just, there was kind of a lot built into, um, just, you know, molding him into the type of player he needed to be as a, you know, seven-foot defensive specialist type of center. So, um and I think a lot of this ability is in him, too. Like, I think he's really smart. Uh I think he uses his length really well. And then I think, like, all that stuff is just – like, the, the communication aspect of it, I think, is just his confidence in his abilities on the defensive end that are just, you know, it's just coming all out in one – you know, in that, in that picture.
1: Yeah. I think um, you make a good point about just all the different high leverage basketball situations he's been in, in the last 12 months, basically. Yeah. Um, and knowing that he belongs, knowing that he can contribute in those situations that gives guys a ton of confidence. And to me, all the things that, that question points out just in terms of mentality and talking and, and all those things, are largely to do with confidence, right? Those are things that come out when you're confident in your ability and confident in what you're supposed to be doing and helping others to do those things as well. Um, I think it has to do with, you know, and and we've seen time and time again, whether it's in, you know, with Tyshawn Alexander who did the, the Pan Am games, um, or these, I think what was called Brenner on the U19 team, um, Pretty much any time you have a chance to get international experience, it helps your game. I mean, we've seen it over and over again, whether it's from NBA guys playing in the Olympics or college guys playing in these different international situations, or even guys that are coming into college like Roddy, who have international experience from overseas before they get here, it pretty much seems across the board to be a dramatic developer of... Uh, of people's games. And so I, I think for me, a lot of it goes to that. But you're right. He's played a ton of high leverage basketball in the last, you know, like in the last year.
0: For sure. Um, Jeremy Howard says, BYU being 12 of 23 from three and still losing by double digits shows how well CU played. Yeah. And BYU shot the ball pretty well from three the whole game. And yeah. it, never, it never really mattered. And I think, I mean, they, again, they are a really, good, you know, they're a really balanced offensive team. They shoot the ball well from three, but they also get inside and score efficiently inside too. And I think the reason that there was a separation, and, I, and I, again, I don't want to keep plugging this, but like I highlighted how Creighton's creating a gap this year with kalkbenner because they convert at going into this game. They were at Creighton was converting at 67%. Inside five feet, and they were allowing their opponent to convert at forty six percent. That's a large gap, right? Twenty one percent point in in one area of the floor. So, like, yeah, BYU being twelve of twenty three from three, like you, you might look at that with past teams and go, "Uh oh, that's there's no way Creighton overcomes that unless they match that with their right. own outside shooting, right?" But you know, the way this team can affect the game inside, both on on both ends of the floor where they can be highly efficient and they can make teams inefficient. That creates a gap in itself to where Creighton doesn't even have to shoot bananas from three. They can just hit like six or seven a night or five or six a night, and it's good. That's that's enough of a gap created right there. And especially when you factor in today that Creighton was 19 to 21 from the free throw line in the second half that only helps them keep, that helps them keep the lead they built off of that interior play in the first half.
1: Well, yeah, especially if Creighton isn't turning the ball over the way they did against that, Iowa. State. Yeah. Uh, you almost, for as well as they defend inside, you almost have to shoot 12 of 23 to have a chance. Yeah. Uh,
0: I well, mean, Especially that's, because BYU had 15 turnovers and that's not usually what they do either. So like Creighton made them pretty uncomfortable in a, couple different areas of the game where they usually aren't uncomfortable.
1: Right. And, and it's one of those things where you know, that's the only reason this thing probably didn't get out of hand is because they did shoot north of 50%. Yeah, Hunter, yeah for sure. Like, yeah, If this, if they go because they're on the season, they're a 31% shooting three-point team. If they shoot their average, they lose this game by 35. I mean, or yeah. close to it. Like, it gets ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think is is telling that, you know, in order to, if Creighton's playing the way they're capable of offensively, the interior defense seems like it's going to be there. You almost have to be shooting some absurd percentage to be in the game.
0: Yeah. Look, there's points on the floor, right? And you have to create gaps wherever you can. Like you have to to create gaps according to the strength of your team and hope that overrides another team's strengths, right? And that's just what – Creighton's just built a little bit differently this year. I, like I said in in the write-up, like Ryan Kalkbender is he's, – he's changing the game defensively and offensively, and he's kind of like molding Creighton's identity too. Like it's a little bit different. He's changed
1: the math for them in terms yeah, of –
0: Yes, that's what, a good way to put it. He's changed the math. Yeah, exactly.
1: Efficiencies are for Creighton you know, typically they could exploit teams by going small and shooting the crap out of the ball. And, and, you know, that was the inefficiency is nobody could keep up with them. If they, went they weren't going to score, they
0: weren't going to, they weren't going to score inside more than they, they were going to give up. Right. So they had to they, offset it from the three point line.
1: Yeah. They probably weren't going to stop you inside. Um, Cause they didn't have a ton of uh, rim protection. They weren't a great rebounding team. So they had to find their inefficiency and they exploited that to the max. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's flipped this year. They're the, they're more efficient than you inside both offensively and defensively. So they just, they, you know, really steered into that in terms of molding the identity of this team. And so you're, you are going to have nights where, you know, I mean, Colorado state had to shoot 20 for 34. Yeah, And Creighton was in that game with like five minutes. Ravi,
0: if they, if they only hit 15 threes, they lose.
1: That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Only-
0: Colorado State hit 23s like- and they won by 14. If they only hit 15 of 34 instead of 20 of 34, which is still a ridiculous night, if they only yeah, win 15 of 34, they-, they lose by one.
1: Yeah, if they basically only shoot 48% instead of like 67%. Exactly. Then yeah. they lose. they right? lose. It's That's an L. talking about here, is yeah. The inefficiencies that Creighton have created, they basically have turned other teams into them from previous years where mm-hmm. they have to shoot. You know, not last year's team necessarily, but kind of older iterations of Creighton where they have to shoot an absurd percentage to beat you yeah. or to be in the game. If they're That's five what...
0: made threes or less, it's an automatic loss. You don't have to look any further than that. Yeah, exactly.
1: I found a tweet that I was, I don't know why I was looking through old Creighton tweets. I think I was looking for something, but I, I tweeted, it was probably, I think it was four years ago that Creighton beat Marquette only making like eight or nine threes or something. And I was like, when's the last time they won a big game without making double digit threes? <laughs> yeah. Like that's what we're talking about here, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. You're
0: like, you said, they changed the math.
1: So, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think and, but you're right. Kalkbrenner is the main reason for that. If, if he's not who he is defensively, especially then the math has not changed. Yeah.
0: Um, This game got out of hand for Drake in the overtime period, by the way. Unfortunate. Um, Let's see. What's the situation with Reef? I mean, he's never been 100%. He hasn't been 100% at any point this year, so I think you're kind of going to see him go in and out of the lineup in certain situations, just depending on how he feels, right? He feels good. And he's he up fine, and he gives it a go. Like, he'll play, and he'll play hard, and he'll give her everything he's got. But there, there's going to be some- – there's going to be some management done with this thing.
1: Yeah, groins are a lot like hamstrings in the sense that um, they're really hard to get 100% healthy, and they're really easy to re-aggravate. Yes. Um, so he may feel good enough to go one day. He takes one wrong step, and it kind of sets him, you know, it's one step forward, three steps back with these types of injuries sometimes, um, especially with the type of player he is the groin is a particularly unfortunate injury for him because of how kind of quick twitching twitch and, and, you know, fast movement he is. And that's a lot of his game. Um, and the lateral movement for him, that's, that's a really tough injury, especially for him. So, um, yeah, I don't know that there's, like, a story there. It's just – it's a really hard in- injury for a basketball player to deal with, yeah. especially a basketball player that plays like Reef.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't hear anything after the game that um, would lead me to believe it's any worse than it was before. I think it's just one of those things where he might be in and out of the lineup all season until it's – you know until he has time and maybe to it's rest and get right.
1: They wanted to you know, they had a week off maybe they maybe they hold them out against Arizona State and try and give them almost full two weeks before conference play starts to give them the best shot at at trying to make it through conference play um, you know it's not very often during the middle of a season that you can take two weeks off and only miss two games so um, that that is kind of where my head was at in terms of the timing of it but mm-hmm. again those those types of injuries just get aggravated constantly so I, like you said i think we're going to see this a lot for sure uh, last question
0: from Danny Sullivan. How do you think this team has become so good defensively, particularly, particularly considering how rare it is for freshmen or players playing together for the first time to gel together on that end of the floor? Well, I mean, I don't know. We've kind of danced around. We've we kind of laid out the puzzle pieces for that question a little bit as we've talked about this tonight, but, or whatever time it is, 3.20 this afternoon. Um but, I mean, you know, Ryan Kalkbender being an absolute monster as a seven-foot center is That's the... is a big reason for it. Uh, Ryan Hawkins has injected a lot of, you know. His basketball IQ. Veteran savvy. Like, he, you know, he yeah. emphasizes, like like I said, the one thing that stood out to me from Ryan Hawkins this summer was how much he communicates on the defensive end. Like, guys don't talk in summer league. They don't give a shit about that side of the floor. They just, yeah. like, want they want the ball again. So like, but he was talking through everything. And it's like, okay, if that's how he communicates for a freaking summer, summer league, a summer league game, like he's gonna be he's gonna be special on the end of the floor. Like you see why he's won defensive player of the year awards in, in at his at Northwest Missouri State. Like he's that's that's gonna translate. So you know communication is a big part of a huge part of defense. It's like forget your attributes, forget your wingspans. Yeah. If you're not talking through stuff,
1: you're gonna get you're getting yeah. it, You know what I mean? And honestly, so I There's think a lot of that. A and big I part think, of it. I was gonna say a big part of it too with Hawkins is the fact that he comes in as one of the veteran presences on this super young team, so they're more inclined to just do what he tells them to, or to follow his example. Um, you know, if he comes in on a senior laden team or something like that it's probably more of an uphill battle for him to take a leadership position. Mm -hmm. But I think he kind of just was by default because you have, you know, a bunch of baby faces in the locker room that are, you know, don't know up from down at this point. And, you know, Ryan Hawkins comes in and yeah, it's at the division two level, but he's got multiple national titles. He's got multiple player of the year awards. He's got multiple, you know, defensive player of the year awards. Like he's got the hardware to earn instant respect And they probably saw in practice the way you saw in summer league and the way we've seen already, he's one of the best players on the floor for them every night. So that garners instant respect. And if he carries himself that way, then everybody else has a really hard time making excuses to not carry themselves that way. Yeah.
0: I mean, I just think when you go down the roster, you can see why it was, why it was kind of like pieced together to be a pretty salty defensive group. Like, Ryan Kalkbender is a shot changer. Um, Keyshawn Wiesel is a veteran who, you know, is good at holding blockouts, being physical, securing securing possessions. Like Ryan Hawkins is great at, you know, using his wingspan, using his hands to get in passing lanes, to to break dribble rhythm. Um,
1: Always in the right spot.
0: Do it it without fouling. He's always in the right spot. He communicates through everything. Uh, you have two bulldogs at the point of attack, two speedy, gritty, tough guys in Ryan Nemhard and Sharif Mitchell. Um, and then Alex O'Connell and Arthur Kaluma are just like, just super, um, super long, super, like they're, they're just like incredible run and jump athletes, right? They can get your face. They can catch up with their mistakes, with their speed and athleticism, um, they can defensive rebound really well because they can go up and get it for their positions. Um, they can block shots. They can affect shots. Like, you know, I think there's just a lot. When you look at all the attributes that these guys have, it, it just fits together that they would be pretty good on, defen- on on the defensive side of the ball if they're just keyed into what they're supposed to be doing.
1: But the places I'll say that it seems like more of a a, a either leadership or cultural shift are guys like Trey Alexander and Roddy and who I didn't oh, yeah. expect expect to be good defenders, at least at this point in their career. Mm -hmm. And Trey Alexander's given everybody anything they want on defense. Like, I mean, he's, he's doing a good job on his end of the floor. And Roddy's been a straight up menace to people defensively. Yeah. I mean, like
0: he's a a ball hawk. He wants that basketball.
1: Yes. And and like does a pretty good job of doing it without fouling. I mean, most guys, especially that age that are ball hawks like that. I mean, you remember reef early in his career fouled a ton. Kyrie, yeah, a ton. Kyrie fouled a ton, right? Mm -hmm. Roddy seems to have a pretty good feel for being a ball hawk without fouling, Mm -hmm. and that's not something I realized was in his game. Same with Trey Alexander. Didn't realize he could be that level of defender, especially this early in his career. So I think that those couple guys especially are where you've seen, yeah, there's guys with really good attributes um, in kind of the front line, but it's filtered down to guys that maybe you didn't expect to get that out of who are just rising to the level that everybody else is setting that expectation of. For
0: sure, hundred percent. That's it for questions. Uh, what's Arizona State look like? I haven't paid attention to them since they uh, scored like ten points against
1: Washington State. I think they're bad, but I don't watch a lot of Arizona State basketball. If I'm being they honest. beat. They,
0: I think they came back and beat Oregon after that, didn't they? I think bad though. I think they. I think the Pac-12 is pretty horrid this year because oregon lost to this byu team they got
1: like blown out by byu didn't they
0: yeah like by 30 something like i think it yeah. was I maybe 80 like something what was it? i should look it up i shouldn't be lying to people like this Just it's fine it was yeah 8149 yeah yeah
1: yeah maybe oregon just isn't good
0: you know what? I, I kind of want to talk about that tomorrow with Jordan on our Big East thing because it ties into Nepal's success a little bit. Um, yeah, That's fine. I'll just tease that. <laughs>
1: you can stay.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, Arizona State's won two in a row since they. <laughs> so here's Arizona State. They 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 started the year one and two. Okay. Then they lost five straight games like, against pretty tough comp. Like they lost four. St- in fairness, they lost four straight games against really tough competition. San Diego State, Baylor, Syracuse, uh, Loyola. Um, you know, San Diego State was two-point game. That was where they got beat at the at the buzzer, I think. No, that was UC Riverside. Never mind. But, uh, yeah, two-point game there. Baylor beat them by 12. It was pretty much a double-digit game the whole time. Syracuse handled them pretty good, and so did Loyola. And then Washington State, who I guess is good. <laughs> Like they're not they're not horrid. They're seven and two, you know, with losses to eastern Washington and USC. Like they're not, they haven't really beaten anybody good yet, though. So I don't know if they're good, but they're not bad. Um and Arizona State didn't score 20 in either half against them. Like either half. They they finished with 29 points. They were 0 for <laughs> six from the free throw line. Just it was the worst. I I can't think of a worse performance I've ever seen. And I just I just gave up on them after that. I was like, "Well, Creighton's going to stomp a mud hole in that in that squad because that's <laughs> the, that's disgusting right there." So, but they've won two games since then. They beat Oregon on the road, who Oregon might be bad. Yeah, um, and they beat Grand Canyon by five at home, who is kind of like a you know just just south of a hundred in Ken Palm, but not you know they're whatever. So they've had they've had five. They'll have. That was last Thursday, so they've been off since then, and that's when they'll play Creighton Tuesday. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I mean kempop has it as a six-point game right now, but I think – I just don't I – mean, I don't know. They're probably going to be tough because they're long, they're athletic, and they probably – you know, they won't play as bad as they did against Washington State. So it's going to – that's going to mold my, like – assumption of them and it shouldn't probably but it it is going to i just can't help it when you see when you see something like that you can't unsee it for a long time
1: yeah there was i think it was uh seton hall a couple years ago like nebraska beat them in the non-con by
0: 20 right yeah
1: oh i was just like oh so seton hall is trash (laughs) and they'll be like villanova
0: and you're just like nope still trash still i'm
1: inclined to believe seton hall is trash anyway because uh-huh. that's just uh, the Miles Powell of it all. Uh-huh. But after that, I was just like, "Oh, so they're like actual just a a a, a dumpster full of hot, wet garbage." <laughs> I mean. and, and and then they weren't, and mm-hmm. but I could never shake it. Every time I saw them play, I was like, "Oh, they're gonna lose by 40.
0: Dude, you know I, you got to go find it. But like Arizona State's highlight reel of that game, you know the one where they like they show like their sideline. Their sideline highlights, where the, where like their own photographers shooting it, you know. Is it like? Eight it's like yet? it's like three made shots and like six like loose ball hustle plays. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's the saddest, it's the saddest propaganda reel you've ever seen. Because it's like, because when you put those things out, you only show the good stuff, right? You like, you know, you, you're like, you stuff? show you show like a twelve made shots in a row, and then like your team loses by twenty. Like that's how it usually goes, right? you you and uno does it it's like they'll lose by 35 but by watching the highlight reel you'll think they like dropped like 60 in each half you know um so that like the asu highlight reel from the washington state game was like like a layup two mid-range jumpers one corner three and then it was like a bunch of like loose balls that like got knocked out of bounds or something that like went to asu it was like it was like it was so sad, dude. I got to find it and send it to you because it's pretty hilarious when you realize that's like the best footage they could come up with from that game.
1: Dude, that's why the first thing that I always watched when I was uh, scouting high school kids was I watched their huddle tape first and foremost. Because if the huddle tape wasn't even good, then nothing is worth my time. Right? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> if,
0: the, if the huddle tape doesn't at least blow you away, it's not worth in. in, in yeah. If, there, are, if there's
1: nothing know. to get excited about on the huddle tape, there is nothing to get excited. About, right. <laughs> it's like when you're search. it's like when you're looking for a house and the Zillow pictures don't even look good. And you're like, Oh God, that place must be uninhabitable. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's like, like that's yeah. the Arizona state
0: version. So you, um, go to the, you go to the place that would lie to you in a good way first. And if it doesn't wow you, then it's probably not going to be wowing. Anybody. Well, I'm just saying
1: like, so everybody takes the, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a dating profile, right? Like everybody takes the best possible pictures of their house. Yeah. And so there's some of them that look like they're straight off of like HGTV or something. And you get yeah. in there and you're like, so when did the sewer back up? <laughs> um and so if you can't even
0: fake it, if you can't even fake it to be presentable enough, it's not yeah. worth like there's nothing else is good.
1: If you can't even put a presentable front on, <laughs> then you're actual garbage. And oh, I think yeah. that's you know, that's what I would that's that's what I'm imagining from this highlight video. You
0: know what, you know we've really huskered this up right now because we're like setting the listeners up to think that ASU is like the worst basketball team of all time. And If they come in and like beat Creighton on Tuesday, they're like the the post game reaction to that is going to be like sky is falling all over the place. Like this team is taking a hundred steps back, zero and eighteen, and two and eighteen in Big East play. Here they come! Like
1: so, they're probably not worse than Nebraska. Um, so let me start there. Arizona State isn't worse than Nebraska. I guess not. I don't know anybody that is worse than Nebraska. I don't know. Um. Frankly, they lost, probably, 50,
0: they lost 51 to 29 at home. That game wasn't on the road. Yes, yes,
1: but Nebraska would not. There's there's no version of Nebraska that could only give up 51 points in a game. That's fair. Against another Power 5 school. If they were only going to score 29 points, they would have given up at least 90. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, all right. So, like, you're giving Arizona State some credit for –
1: Yes, because like Nebraska scoring
0: 29 it, points and still having that chance to win is what you're saying, basically.
1: Well, like it's only scoring 29 points, but still having the focus to play defense for 40 minutes. Yeah. Like in at least enough defense to hold your opponent to 51 points. Yeah, like, so I, <laughs> the I, score the score at halftime was 18 to 10. That's what I mean. Like, like
0: they, they, they scored 10 points in a whole half of basketball at the D one level. And it, and they were like, we're, they were like a runaway. They were like, just a couple buckets and we're right back in this thing.
1: <laughs> but it turned out they were an entire half away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. So, like quarter, like, quarter got messy. Watching,
1: yeah. I was watching Nebraska today and they can't stay focused for an entire possession. So,
0: dude, dude, like, I didn't see any of that game. I just like read Twitter and then I read Twitter and Twitter like stopped updating the score for a little bit. <laughs> Like Twitter was just like, oh my god, oh my god! Like every every Husker writer I stumbled upon was just like, this is this is dreadful. And then I like checked the score, and it was like they were down like thirty three. I was like, oh god dang!
1: <laughs> it's Nebraska can't stay focused for thirty whole seconds on either side of the ball.
0: Nice. Same if problem if
1: they way. don't get a shot off in the first like eight to twelve seconds of their possession, they will turn it over. They will. Tr- and if you can get, if you can prevent yourself from getting a shot off in the first eight to twelve seconds, they will forget to guard someone on your team.
0: Am I crazier? Did they did they not say they were gonna like practice and maybe do a different like play a different type of basketball after Michigan? Because it seemed like they still came out and I don't know, the ball man. out and, and and said Auburn, let's go punch for punch, and then like got they got pummeled in the corner in the first round.
1: Hoyberg has a little bit of like Scott Frost issue in the sense of like you can't trust anything he says about practice or games. Robbie, don't do that. To, don't do that to that man. Don't put him. I'm in. just saying. I think he's a bad basketball coach.
0: Well, I'm a Bulls fan, so we can talk about that
1: anytime you want. But I'm just. I I thought. I thought the Bulls thing was the outlier. The Iowa State thing might be the outlier.
0: Yeah, it was the Iowa State thing where he was like cornered the market on grabbing a bunch he of transfers. The and...
1: first guy who wasn't like you, transfers gross. <laughs> Ew, transfer. The first
0: guy who wasn't like Fran Fashilla every broadcast and go, transfers are cancer. Don't take them.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was the first guy to realize like not every transfer is like wanted for attempted murder yeah, exactly. or anything yeah
0: these you blacklisted from the game
1: it's <laughs> like oh some of these guys just want a different opportunity that might work
0: yeah they might still be good basketball players it's okay
1: decent people
0: even you know yeah, and so and, and, and leaders right exactly
1: the, so he was yeah. the first one to be like oh maybe this isn't a terrible idea like, hey,
0: that's like it worked pretty well let's try that and then now it's not like unique anymore so every you know it's not it doesn't set them apart
1: it doesn't work anymore. And so he's left with the crap he's worth. He's left with the crap end of the transfer stick. Um, But I, I, I honestly don't even think it was visionary. I think he just hates recruiting so much that he's like, Oh, I only cool. have to recruit. I only have to recruit transfers for like four days. Let's okay. do that. So like I was,
0: uh... <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> no. Like only, so so have the, to one, the one, the one time, like, remember, remember the Omaha bottom line show that they used to have remember, Omaha world yeah. here bottom line like uh, that severe used to host or whatever. Yeah. Like I actually had to fill in for that a couple of times. Um, and one of the times we were talking about Fred Hoiberg being hired by Nebraska or whatever. And I was pretty open about like, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> like, because he does not like, even at Iowa state, he didn't recruit no high school talent or, and develop it. Like there was, and I feel no. like that's a key to success. In the Big Ten, is you have to have some guys who start out as little babies and turn into like men, and then
1: well, especially grow into your
0: program and like understand how to like mature as a basketball player in the Big Ten. You know, you can't just just, you
1: can't just brass. bring
0: in like seven transfers and then like rock the Big Ten's world. You know what I mean? And, yeah. I, and I got a lot of pushback. They're like, I don't know, man. You can coach offense really well, and and I'm like Kenny, though, Like I, I I swear to God, I watched all those Bulls teams, and I never felt like. Oh yeah, setting the world on fire. Like the finish. only thing I defended him on was that he never really got the 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 right roster for what his like coaching skill set so was. So I kind of like that was the only pass I gave.
1: That's why but I thought. But
0: he has no excuse for that anymore. He buys these groceries. Like these are well, his, these are the Abdel-Massi, guys.
1: Abdel-Massi well, buys groceries.
0: Hey hey, these this is the roster he's rocking with. I understand three years running now, and it's getting worse by the day. So, it is by the day. It's funny, actually. It's, um, <laughs> no, but I'm that's, saying, you, none of this is surprising to me. I kind of saw
1: it coming. You brought up why I thought Chicago was the outlier rather than Iowa State being the outlier is because they brought him in to coach a certain style of offense and then never gave him a roster to run that style of offense. Agreed. And so I was like, ah, he kind of got it. You know, they, like, brought in, like, D-Wade, and Rondo, and stuff. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, so but then, like, but, yeah,
0: the, but, but the, thing, the thing that troubled me was, like, coaches have to be adaptable to personnel. And he, he had up. talent like the, Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, even at the end of his career, Right, yeah. like they didn't have they weren't lacking for talent. So no, like they, the, the, the lack of it ad, adaptability yeah. adaptability to that squad was alarming to me. And that's why well, I was I, like, I kind of wonder if that's if so I, would I say it was a flash in the pan.
1: Adaptability or if he just can't coach at all.
0: He can coach. Like he Are you
1: he sure? Is.
0: Like are you no, sure? I'm not sure. That's
1: like I'm not, you make, sure.
0: I'm not gonna put that. Like I'm sure, but I'm just saying. How do we start talking about Nebraska? Oh, they got a boat race. That's why. Yeah, they
1: just got. Um, oh, because no, I said. Oh, they were, are they like, worse
0: than Arizona State? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know.
1: I don't think they're. I mean, they're not as bad as like Kennesaw. They're not as bad as Pine Bluff, probably. Gonna,
0: dude, hold. Be careful with that. They're gonna play Kennesaw State in ten days, eleven days, uh, 14, honestly, two weeks. They get K State and Kennesaw State at home next before Christmas. I think. Who does Nebraska?
1: Oh, I'm talking about Arizona State now.
0: Oh, okay, sorry.
1: I'm saying okay, Arizona State's not as bad as Kennesaw State. Arizona State's not as bad as Pine Bluff. Nebraska will probably lose to Kennesaw State. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, I would laugh really hard, but yeah. So like, when I say that Arizona State's bad, I'm not. They're not the worst team Creighton's played. They're You know they're still a power five team ish. What's
0: that? Um, What does that fucking mean? What? Who cares about that? Well, because in general, they scored twenty (laughs) nine points in a whole basketball (laughs) game. (laughs) I think you need to watch that game to see what I'm talking about. Like, I think you're hearing me. You're hearing. You're hearing me say that, and you're thinking it's defensible. And I'm telling you, if you watch this, it's not. There's no. there's no there's, excuse for what I saw there.
1: There was no now. scenario with a shot clock in which 29 points is defensible. I understand that. Okay, okay. I, I would argue – I want to college. make sure
0: you're, you're understanding the weight of what I'm telling you here
1: about that. I'm just saying from a pure talent standpoint, they are probably better than a lot of the buy games Creighton has played, and they're definitely better than Nebraska because Nebraska is, as I said before, the hot dog water of college basketball. <laughs>
0: That's fair. I think we've talked enough about Nebraska, um, but we've given people, I think we've given people a well-balanced show here. We talked about Creighton BYU. We to answer their questions. We talked big picture and then we trashed Nebraska that's pretty good balance, right? Yeah. I think that's that what every blue Jay fan wants from their podcasts, right?
1: I would assume so. It's what I want for my
0: podcasts. Oh, okay. Well, so we'll, we'll take a poll. Like everybody liked the podcast. Tell us if you liked the balance we provided today, including talking about the team down the road in a negative light. Um, I mean, I shouldn't even say negative light. Accurate light. We just I was gonna all, say. all we did was shine the light, and it showed you what it showed you, right? Light
1: on. Like, listen.
0: <laughs> we didn't alter know. the results in any way. We just. Like, we
1: just in, like, if your dog goes out in your backyard and drops a deuce, and you take a flashlight out there to find it, you didn't create the shit. You just. <laughs> uncovered the shit yeah you just went out there yeah exactly okay we are simply (laughs) shining the flashlight on the turd that is nebraska basketball
0: yeah so creighton good nebraska ball bad thank you for the questions thank you to ravi for taking time out of his day to analyze all this with me um what do you do we have anything to i like to plug people so what do you what do you got for this week that people should listen to you for anything
1: um I think I'm on Gary's show on Tuesday. Are you hosting? Yeah, and okay. then i That's, that's
0: what. Ten to two.
1: Ten to two. Okay. And then next week, I'll be on on Sportsmanlike Conduct Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then the week after that. Okay, I'll that's I don't
0: care about all that. Like that's. <laughs>
1: So, so this Blue Jay week, show
0: around Gary Sharp show on Tuesday.
1: Yep. And then Creighton Athletic Hour on Thursday. Okay. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week on Sportsmanlike Conduct.
0: Okay, cool. That's, that's, you know, that takes everybody to Christmas, right? I think yeah,
1: so. Yeah. That, that next week is Christmas week. Holy crap. Next week is Christmas.
0: Yeah. You better get Natasha something nice. I should buy gifts. You should. Did you get the puppies anything? The pup, the puppy. Yeah.
1: Butters and things and. We got Doug a little like parka coat. Nice That's cute. Yeah. Nice. He's got really short hair, so he gets cold out there. Are they easy to please or do you sometimes get them a gift and they're like, what is this bullshit? I mean, the ones that like to wear clothes, love whatever clothes we buy them. Okay. Uh rest of them just like treats. So I mean they're dogs. They're pretty simple to please. Yeah, it feels like that.
0: But I mean I've seen a lot of videos where dogs are just like, I'm not, I'm not feeling that.
1: Yeah, mine aren't terribly picky about their – as long as it's food of some kind, they're pretty much on board. Nice. That's a good way to – They're look. much like me as long as it's not a vegetable, they like it. Yeah,
0: same, 100%. Banned <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> it's an anti-vegetable podcast. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate Robbie, my good buddy. Um, and uh, he knows basketball, too. It's like a good little – I really you know,
1: friends and smart. Right. I feel like that's why we're friends. If I didn't know basketball, I feel like you would shun me.
0: No, because we have a history. <laughs> that's, that's <what> I'm... <laughs> You're my friend for life because of what we've been. So, you no, know.
1: we're bonded.
0: Yeah. We, we're, we're like tied together through life experience. There's no, it's not basketball at all. <laughs> it's true. That was true. just, that was just a, a happy accident part of it. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you coming on and uh, help me analyze this thing. Thanks for your time, man. Appreciate it.
1: For sure, man. Anytime.
0: All right, everybody. Have a good week. Talk to you Tuesday night for Arizona State. Be well.